Howdy, everyone, and welcome to the Simplify Your Financial Life show and podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lawrence, and I'm joined by a special guest today, our very own Mike Minter. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me, Adam. I appreciate it, man. And uh, thank you for getting this podcast off the ground for us. I, I look forward to many more episodes to come. Of course. Thanks for being here. I thought for our first episode, we could do something special and take an inside look into your role here at Financial Synergies. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Yeah, you bet. So obviously the chief investment officers is my title. Um, so I uh, the, I can kind of start with how I got here. That's um, kind of a, an, a little bit of an interesting track. I um, I was not going down this road in college. I, I was uh, going down a different track. I, at at one point, had aspirations to be a, a physical uh, therapist, and so I, I was taking the the sci, you know, very science heavy, and uh, you know, going down that road in in school. But I also had a business minor, and so I, I found myself kind of drifting towards the business oriented classes and finance and and investing. Uh, and, and that, to be honest, that kind of started my interest in investing anyway, started with uh, in high school when my my parents opened up uh, a mutual fund account for me. They they opened up, a, I think it was a Vanguard uh, mutual fund account. And I, I just, I remember, you know, talking to my parents about that and they were very big on saving and investing, which is great, uh, taught me a lot. Um, but I, I remember just being so enthralled and watching that account grow and compound over time and, and just, um, you know, the beauty of, of investing and getting started early. So I, I really was interested in that from a, from a fairly early age. And I think that that passion just kind of carried over, uh, into my college years, um, and started to kind of overtake my, I think my interest in, in becoming at some point overtook my interest in becoming a, um, a physical therapist. Although I, I was a personal trainer in, in college and I, I was definitely going down that road. I ended up with a bachelor of science degree. Um, but by the time I got out, my my passions had really kind of gone in another direction. And the thought of uh, now going to uh, additional years uh, to become a physical therapist was was less appealing. So I, I kind of uh, I switched gears a little bit and I, I had an opportunity to go work for a company in Houston uh, after graduation, I went to Texas State, which is now Southwest Texas, but had an opportunity to go work for a company called AIM Investments. Uh, for anyone who was around back then, it, you probably remember AIM Investments. It's now Invesco. Uh, it was kind of a conglomerate and Invesco essentially swallowed it up after the, the tech crash. I started in 99 just in time for the, the big tech crash. So I, I, got, I think I had one good year, uh, but you know, it, it kind of went downhill from there. Uh, and it was a great company. Don't get me wrong. I was I was there for a few years, but it 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 definitely was a little rocky. Uh, but it taught me a lot about in, investing and the mutual fund side of the business, the operations. Um, and and got and I got to work with advisors who were on the other side of it, who were there working for their clients, right? And I'm I'm working for the fund company, the product side. And I realized I, I, I as much as I, I had a career there in the future, no doubt about it. I mean, I there's no question I could have retired there, but it was a massive company, thousands of employees. And I really didn't see myself at a massive firm like that for, for a long time. I always had a little bit, I always thought I'm either going to do something different and go to the other side, the advisory side, 
or I'm going to own my own business doing something else. I didn't really even know at that point, but um, but I loved investing. So um, I was fortunate enough to, uh, and Mike Booker was just happened to be looking for uh, someone at the time. This was back in 2003. And he was, um, he, he took me on um, based on my experience, I think with AIM at the time uh, as, as kind of director of operations uh, back in 2003. And it's it's been a hell of a ride. I mean, I and I I thank Mike so much for giving me that opportunity. And he he really gave me my shot, you know, on this side of the business. And of course, Mike started the business 35 years ago and still involved to this day. So um, I, I can't thank him enough for for putting me on this track. And, and then he let me really uh, kind of blossom within the firm. I mean, I, I wasn't just pigeonholed to uh, operations. I, I was. Uh, you know, able to take uh, kind of a, a turn to the investing side of it when the time came. And and we've just got a wonderful team around us. So we were able to hire, you know, Marie Villard. And of course, she's our director of operations, wearing a lot of hats. Uh, but that allowed me to kind of step into more of the, uh, the portfolio manager role over time. And now I'm just blessed to have uh, two phenomenal uh, portfolio managers under me. Uh, Grant Ball and Tim Garcia Pratt are just phenomenal. They are the the rocks that kind of let me do what I do on a daily basis, uh, which is kind of oversee the firm's investment strategy, uh, the overall allocation, um, you know, and kind of re- really direct the firm level communications around the investment strategy and what we're doing with clients. And I would never be able to do any of that uh, if it weren't for those guys. So I my hat off to them. Um, but so, and, and that's, that's kind of my road here. It, it I'm sure everybody's is unique in, in their own way. I mean, I just, uh, to me, I, um, I, I didn't go down the path of finance initially, or certainly not financial planning or any, anything like that. But man, once I got into this, I just developed a real passion for it. Um, I too, I, I don't, I don't remember how many years into my career, but I decided to go down the route of getting the CFP and that, that really kind of catapulted my knowledge and and career a bit, um, you know, and and just really kind of engulfed me in in the, the financial planning world, and and it's 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 been a hell of a ride, like I said. <laughs> That's awesome. So it sounds like it was kind of an un- unconventional path, but certainly one that uh, led you to where you are today. So that's awesome. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> I uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything, but uh, yeah, it was definitely it took some twists and turns. That's for sure. <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. Well, next, could you talk a little bit about some of the top things you're having conversations with clients about these days? Yeah, you know this environment. I, they're all they're all unique in their own way, and they all present their own challenges. And and you know sometimes you're flying high, and you got years of just. Boom, boom, boom! Everything's going up, and and you know, it just never seems to, nothing ever seems to bring it down. And those are great; they're a fun ride. But you always know that there is the potential for a downturn, or a, you know, either an economic downturn or market downturn. And um, this environment we're in now is 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 unlike any in in my career, certainly, uh, with rising rates and and this inflationary environment. Uh, that frankly I have not seen in my my investing career. We we just really haven't had much inflation. I mean, inflation is there; it's always a variable, but 
it never it's never really been meaningful until till now. And we've come out of this, uh, you know, 40 year plus uh, declining rate environment where we just kind of got used to easy money monetary policy, you know, rates at essentially zero, I mean, negative in some cases, which has been how we, a, a lot of us in this business have kind of grown up with that, you know. And so, you know, financing is, is a breeze and, you know, free money and all that stuff. In those days, they're kind of over now, you know. Um, all you have to do is look at mortgage rates or go buy a car, you know. Uh, you're, you're not, you know, good luck getting 0% find it. You can still find it maybe, but, you know, so these things have changed. It's all changed dramatically uh, within the course of 18 months, you know, two years. So that that tends to be top of mind for most people. You know, my gosh, what about these rates? Uh, what about inflation? And, and is this ever gonna stop? And of course the answer is everything ebbs and flows all the time. Will inflation continue to go up, up, up and never stop? No, no, of course not. Um, inflation at some point will will be tamed and, and start to come back down to normal. Um, the Fed is gonna do what they have to do to get us there. Love them or hate them. It's probably the worst job in the world being a you know, member of the Fed or, or <laughs> I wouldn't wish Jerome Powell's job on anybody. You can't please anybody. But but I do think they've done a pretty decent job. Um, all in all, could 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 be a lot worse, you know. Um, so I, I do think they'll get it under control, and I think it's critical that they do. Uh, and then rates. I mean, rates are are clearly and they're, they're intertwined. Inflation and rates. There's no you can't split the two apart. Uh, so the Fed's indicated that they are going to kind of take their foot off the the gas a bit in terms of. Uh, you know, raising rates, whether or not they have one more this year, who, who knows, it's possible. Um, and, and then in into next year, I think they're being cautious in how they message this because they don't want to send anybody into a tizzy. But I think mm -hmm. that I think they're probably we're looking at at least a, a leveling off, you know, maybe just a pause, if you will, and, and possibly starting to reduce rates in, at some point in 24 that's a possibility. I, I don't know, but it, it, and there are so many conditions that have to maintain for that to happen, but things can turn on a dime. And, and if, if they do, then I'm sure that they will uh, reverse course if, if needed. But I, I do think those are the, those are this, no question about it, that, that has been the driving factor and the main point of, of communication for basically the last 18 months to two years has been that story. Um, the economy is still kicking along relatively well. So we get a lot of questions around not only inflation and interest rate, but, but recession, right? The, the big R word, are we going to enter a recession? And there's another one. I wish I could say yay or nay, but I, but I don't know. Nobody does, um, which is a common theme with me. I, I, you know, it's like trying to predict the weather and, you know, uh, three months from now on Tuesday, it's going to rain, you know, we, <laughs> nobody knows that. And, you know, mm -hmm. People can prognosticate and make these predictions, and it's it's good for CNBC and all that. That's great, but there's no nobody holds their feet to the fire if they don't come true. So we just don't do that. But um, but I, I do think that it is it it would be rare and unlikely to you know just all of a sudden enter into a recession still with very very low unemployment rates and a job market that has slowed but is not anywhere near. Uh, falling off a cliff. So 
you, it's really hard to have a recession when you have such a strong, strong job market. It, it's really kind of unprecedented. So could we go into a recession? Sure. But I think it would take a lot more right now uh, for us to enter into a recession. Uh, and that would require some pretty hefty uh, rising of rates from here to, to kind of slam us into a recession, which I hope they don't do. And I hope doesn't happen. But um, so I kind of see us, there's a possibility that we get out of this with a relatively soft landing. Again, don't quote me because I have no idea, but my gut feeling right now is that we might actually get out of this without a catastrophic, you know, economic downturn or recession. But so th those are the things that that continually come up. It tends to be focused on inflation rates and, and recession. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's been something that's you know, been top of mind for not just clients, but for advisors as well. You know, we see it all over the news and um, we read it, it online in articles um, pretty much every day. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, depending on the scenario that we get one way or another, what clients should be doing or how they should be thinking about all these um, headlines they're seeing in terms of their portfolios and how that aligns with our investment philosophy? Yeah, I think number one is diversification is always key. I think, you know, it, it you don't want to make knee-jerk reactions to the headlines because that that is first and foremost, because there every day there's a doom and gloom story about this, that, or the other that, you know, could potentially negatively impact your portfolio. Uh, no question about it. Whether those materialize or not, who knows? But uh, it's like I always say, the, the the news media, the financial news media is not in the business of education and great information. It's information, but the rapper is is panic and and fear and 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 you know hair on fire. You know it, it's that's what drives ratings, and so so they can't sit there on TV every day and say you everything's fine and don't do anything. They don't get paid to do that. So I get it, but that that's what they get. You know they get paid to entertain, and they'll tell you we're entertainers. So I would say number one is don't put too much stock in headlines or what the daily commentators are saying about anything really in terms of the markets going down in flames or this. You know, I mean, we have a couple of bad days in the market and all of a sudden everybody should sell every stock they own. That's crazy, uh, number one, because just because you have a couple of bad days in the market, it might turn on a dime and never look back and have the greatest run, you know, in 10 years. And, and, and they're not talking about real life, right? We, we, we have stocks and a lot of these stocks might have massive embedded gains and, you know, you're going to sell all your stocks and pay taxes on all those just on a whim. I mean, so these things are not, they're not to be taken seriously. They're, and they're not, they're not indicative of your life. They're just comments and they're just, hey, you need to get out of stocks, stuff like that. So number one is I would say, don't react to headlines or or daily commentary on anything like that. Um, in terms of, you know, overall portfolio allocation, that is always going to be driven by your personal circumstance and your tolerance for risk and your financial goals. So what we try to do on the front end is just get the allocation right on, at the outset, and then it will evolve with you over time, of course, if you need to take on more risk or reduce risk or, you know, have income needs that need to be, uh, you know, uh, achieved within the portfolio that we can, you know, help to transition over time. That's what we do. Any portfolio level changes, meaning, 
you know, funds or, uh, you know, allocation changes that we feel are appropriate. Uh, we are constantly meeting about that with the investment committee um, on a monthly basis. And, and frankly, we're in contact every single day. We're, we're talking about, you know, investment related uh, issues and portfolio management. So there's not a day that goes by that we're not looking at this, but the reality is it's very rare that you just say, you wake up and say, man, based on all these factors, we've got to, we've got to make a serious change here. That's rare because we don't let current market factors necessarily just drive the long-term strategy of the portfolio. You can get into a real uh, hairy situation trying to do that because then you're talking about short-term factors affecting your long-term game plan. And it's a game that we really don't want to play. And so um, we, we just simply don't do that. What, what is interesting about this environment, unlike any other though, is you do have you do have areas where you can make just incremental improvements. And one of the things we've been talking to clients a lot about is just, just cash in general. What do you, if you've got cash, for example, if you have cash just sitting in a, in a traditional bank savings account right now, I, depending on the bank, I don't know they, they vary, but I mean, you could be earning a, a pittance compared to what you could earn in an online savings account. That's still FDIC insured, still backed by a major bank and has zero risk really of anything happening to that cash. Uh, and, and it's kind of this free money situation that, that's just on the table and all you have to do is grab it. And, and that's, uh, we have really haven't had that in, in, in a long, long time. So for instance, let's say you're earning 60 basis points on your cash in a you know bank checking or bank savings account somewhere, you could earn over five percent on that cash just by funneling it to a, you know, a, a, an FDIC insured online savings or a money market fund. We're very aggressive about funneling uh, all the money that all the cash, idle cash that we can for our clients into uh, these higher yielding money market funds that are completely protected. Uh, they're custodied at either Charles Schwab or Fidelity. And these things are earning upwards of 5.3, 5.4% right now. So, or in that, in that range. Um, so those are just easy moves that we now can take advantage of that we have not been, a, that just wasn't even an option for, uh, you know, the past 20 years, essentially. So um, just easy moves. You can think about things like mm -hmm. that. Other than that, if we're managing your account, trust me when I say we are constantly looking at this, uh, you know, trying to balance what makes sense for the long term with what's happening in the short term. And we do make moves. It's not that we don't ever make fund level moves or, or allocation changes. We do that. Um, but uh, right now, we are looking at a few things. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail, but we are looking at a few things, particularly on the fixed income side. And we're continuing to talk about that. And, and obviously, we'd communicate that out if, if anything's going to happen. But um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an environment that keeps you on your toes for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, with the very complex interest rate and inflation environment that we're in, um, you know, I kind of want to circle back to our conversation regarding cash and how cash is yielding a lot more, especially in those money market accounts that you mentioned. So how would you respond to folks that would say, hey, you know, maybe I should allocate more of my fixed income side of the portfolio to these money market funds? Or you know, is it important to stay balanced based on the original allocation that you developed whenever you know, we you know, started working with you and whenever we um, kind of nailed down your risk tolerance? 
Sure. So, yeah, it, it would be it's absolutely reasonable and, and rational. And I get it. I get the thought process of, hey, maybe we we shouldn't have this money in bonds. Maybe we just put it in cash. It's earning this great yield. There, that that is true in a in a little a little short span in this like microcosm of of the world we live in right now. Uh, and, and and I don't mean every fixed income fund. That's not true across the board, but it could be true. Um, and you've got money markets or whatever earning five percent, which again we allocate as to as aggressively as possible. Um, but you don't want to go overboard there. And yes, if you've got idle cash and and it's it's it needs to be cash cash. I mean, you need that cash in the next two years. You really don't need to be investing in in anything too variable. It, it, you need to have that in in cash cash um, or or something that even if you lock it up in a CD or a bond, you want to make sure that that matures within your. You want to match that maturity to your liability. Uh, or you could be in real trouble because there are there's going to be price movement there. Money market fund is going to be there when you need it. You're not there is dollar for dollar. You know you're going to earn your stated rate, and you get that cash when you need it. So that that's where I'd have that cash cash. But but definitely want to be aggressive with how you you know how you allocate it because you you don't want it just sitting in in a bank account earning nothing when you it's just you know you have the option to do that. On the other side, you know taking just Xing bonds and going with cash. I, I get the argument, but again, it's it's a short-term phenomenon that will not always be the case. That period. And, and this ebbs and flows throughout history. Um, everything up, down, you know, there are going to be environments where you may say, man, why do we have any money in stocks? Bonds are earning more in stock. Why don't we just sell our stocks and, and throw it into bonds? I get it. I, I get that argument too. When you when you you're seeing your stocks go down and your bonds are going up, I get it. But that's not the time to do that. That's we would argue that that's actually the time, you know, once you've had a nice run up in fixed income or, you know, what have you, that you want to trim off some of those fixed income, buy into the stocks that are depressed. Because one thing I know for sure is that over the next 30, 40 years, uh, stocks are going to outperform bonds. And, and, and if they don't, then um, you can you can quote me on that. But I, I would <laughs> I would put probably most of my money on stocks ahead of bonds. That's why we take risk. And you're compensated for that risk. It's the same thing with bonds. It's just we're in a weird environment right now. Rates are going up. Bond prices are going down. And so these uh, these shorter instruments like cash and that they're being dramatically affected by the shorter end of the curve. And those rates are going up and they're benefiting tremendously from that. So it's there's it's a great environment for sure. And by the way, we have our fixed income portfolio is not just intermediate term bonds and, and long term bonds or anything like that. It's we have very short term bonds that are going to benefit from this short rate environment, this, you know, increasing rate environment. And they are. But we also have some more strategic fixed income and some longer duration. And yes, those bond prices have taken a hit. And it's not a particularly fun place to be necessarily right now, but that will turn. And what will, at some point, you know, these managers within is remember these are thousands of bonds within these funds, not just you know one bond or you know a handful of bonds. So there there are bonds constantly maturing and turning over within these these funds, and the managers are then able to take those proceeds. And buy into the higher yielding uh, new issue bonds, which is happening all the time. 
And so they're also able to buy these at a discount. And so they're finding tremendous value right now in the fixed income world. And it's going to take time for that to play out, but it will. And so what will happen is you'll have this fantastic portfolio of really great bonds that you picked up at a discount and they're earning a better yield. So the, the, the overall yield of the bond fund is now better. And then when rates do start to tick down, that's, that's really when you start to see that price appreciation on, on the bonds. There's an inverse relationship. So as the rates start to come down, those prices are going to go back up. And so now you've got a portfolio of uh, better yielding bonds and they're benefiting from the price appreciation as rates come down. And I'm not predicting rates are coming down next year, but they might. And at some point, I know they will. And so you will see that price appreciation. And yes, you'll still have. So what will happen to cash at that point? So cash, the the, the rate on, on uh, savings accounts and, and money market accounts is variable. So that those rates will come down and the bond prices will start to go up. And then you've also locked in those higher rates uh, on those uh, bonds that you were purchasing. And so then at some point, you're going to have the opposite reaction, which is, man, my bonds are they're really doing well. And this cash I've got is now not looking so great. I understand that's not the case right now, but it will be. And so it, it's these takes these themes take time to, to play out. Um, but it's the reason that we don't make short-term moves and say, look, I want to, let, let, based on where we're at now, let's just dump all this and go into cash. Because we don't know when the tide's going to turn on that. Uh, but what we do know is is the, the well, a well-balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds and cash, uh, it, it makes the most sense uh, long-term. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me as well. And you know what I'm hearing is that you want to always look at what is, you know, the purpose of this particular item in my portfolio or the portfolio overall. Um, so the purpose of cash is to be cash, right? It's not to be a fixed income type investment. Um, and so you want to make sure that if you're, you know, allocating money to cash, that you're doing so for the right reasons, right? Because, and, and you know, I, I think this is another huge part of it all is, you know, on my side, the advisory side, when, whenever we, you know, start working with you, we want to develop an asset allocation that's appropriate for your risk tolerance, not just now, but um, hopefully in perpetuity, um, you know, a, a, until further notice, because, um, you know, that that's the way that we can get around, you know, not having to make tactical calls, not having to, uh, you know, change a certain part of the portfolio whenever the market takes a dip or whenever it's up or vice versa. We want to choose an asset allocation that's appropriate for you, um, no matter the storm that's out there um, or, or, or if the sun is shining. Um, so, I, I think that that's how I think about it on my end. Is 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 that how you would think about it as well? Yeah, I just well said. I, I couldn't have said it any better. I think we're trying to create durable, uh, flexible portfolios that that kind of that, are, that have the ability to evolve with you over time as your life changes, as your goals change. But it's not designed to then just turn corners every single time the market, uh, you know, has a short term change in direction because that's going to happen all the time. We we don't want to get into those those short-term gains because 
the, the, the honest truth is over the long term, it does more harm than good. Uh, and, and we, we simply don't want to, don't want to play that game. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this really speaks to, I mean, the, the very name of our company, it's Financial Synergies Wealth Advisors. So, you know, we take a total wealth management approach. Um, we want the investments and the financial planning aspect to go hand in hand. And that's why we kind of always like to say that we want to be the quarterback and get our hands around everything whenever we um, start working with a new client. Um, and so that I, that I think is a really important point. But also, you know, Mike, the, the way I think about it, you know, whenever we're in the financial planning room and, um, you know, we're, we're going through the fact finding process and, you know, we're learning about um, the client's details, um, you know, we want to make sure that the investment tail is not wagging the the desire to increase wealth, right? Um, you know, that, that's a way to, to grow your wealth, um, you know, at a steady pace over time, but not necessarily to try to, you know, hit home runs. We're trying to hit base hits, singles and doubles and trying to, you know, grow your money at a reasonable rate of return. Um, but I, I think, you know, where where half of the value, a lot of the value of what we do is, is, is where it comes in is the financial planning side, because that's where we can say, okay, you know, let's save more for retirement. Um, let's, you know, open a 529 plan for your kids so that we can uh, save for your kids' college expenses. Um, let's do Roth conversions every year so that we can max maximize the tax-free growth of those dollars and reduce RMDs. And I think by taking that approach and bringing the financial planning into it, you don't have to hit home runs on the investment side, right? You, you know, you don't have to try to, you know, reach uh, for, for the stars whenever you're really just trying to get singles and doubles. Yeah, well, well said. I think, you know, for us, it's always been planning, you know, the, the financial plan, it becomes the blueprint, the foundation of, of everything else. It's really hard to develop a great investment plan without any idea of your financial goals and, and have an overall financial plan behind it. It's really hard. I mean, Yes, you could say, oh, let's let's I, I want a portfolio and I want you to try to be as aggressive as as, as aggressive as possible. And, and that's fine. We can we can do that. But it's so much healthier to have a real financial plan with all those variables baked in behind it before we start investing money, because that's that's like kind of a ship without a rudder. You 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 you're kind of flying blind at that point. You need to have a good foundation behind why you're doing something and and what you're doing and when. And the only, in my mind anyway, the, the the best way to achieve that is to have a solid financial plan behind it. So we really do try to take that holistic approach with, with everything we do. Uh, so we're in close contact with, as you know, uh, we're in constant contact with the advisory team. Uh, we work, we collaborative on everything and they come to us and say, hey guys, here's the plan. And here's the investment strategy we want to create behind it. And then we go to work, you know, we, we collaborate and we get that done. It has to be the driver behind everything we do. Otherwise the investment side of it just doesn't work. So you said it exactly right. hundred percent. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time today and we look forward to seeing your blogs in the next few weeks. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Adam. I really appreciate it. I, I think this has been great. And I, I look forward to many more episodes to come. Fantastic. Great job. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye.